Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Americana Station podcast. So happy to have you uh, tuning in today. Thank you, f- everyone, for your comments on the first episode with Caleb Edwards. Uh, actually, just uh, been in the studio um, recording my next EP, and I, I had uh, Caleb Edwards come in and do some uh, work with me. So we got to spend the whole day together um, a couple of days ago and uh, just goof off and eat pizza and, and make some music together. That was a lot of fun. Um, always a pleasure to be in the presence of Caleb Edwards. Also, always a pleasure to be in the presence of Yasmin Van Wilt, who is on the podcast today. Just a few things uh, about Yasmin. She is an advocate of the mental health crisis and uh, is working on the environmental crisis um, back in New York. Not only is she doing those sorts of things and making PBS specials with uh, eight-time Grammy winners, which you'll hear about in the podcast, she's also writing songs like crazy. She released a uh, song with the Bellamy Brothers, If You Want. Um, She's also a co-writer on Aaron Lewis's latest single, Folded Flag. And um, she has a new single coming out in February called Rise Up. So with no further ado, here is Yasmin Van Wilt. So how have you been? Really well. How have you been? Good. So what's been going on since I last talked to you? I've had quite a crazy autumn. Um, I'm the artist in residence now at Columbia University. So I've been composing a lot of music, looking particularly at social issues like the global mental health crisis and the environmental crisis. So it's, it's been a really interesting and exciting journey. I've talked with lots of professors from various departments about how they're addressing these issues, and I'm letting those conversations inform what I'm composing. Right. So, and, but you're songwriting through that, right? Mm-hmm. As well as mm-hmm. what, what other forms of art are you incorporating in that? So this will eventually incorporate a theater piece that will be transmedia, so it'll have songs interspersed within it. And it will also have other forms of transmedia. So there'll be a radio play and ultimately a series of videos as well. That's so cool. Thank you. <laughs> You're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is, whenever I had Caleb on uh, last week, uh, he was also complimenting me. It's such a great thing to, you know, that's why I get you guys on, so I can just... <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so what else have you been up to? You, uh, you've been songwriting here in East Nashville and uh, just globetrotting? Yeah, I've been touring um, primarily in, in uh, America this past fall. I released a song with the Bellamy Brothers over the summer, If You Want. And we've been getting a lot of love in Europe on the radio for that. And I released uh, a single, Down Home, this fall which is an acoustic folk song. Right. And um, I tried to do something different with that. So essentially it's a sonnet, but in the form of a song. Right. And the sonnet is typically a kind of poetry that's very high art, quote unquote. And often, um, I think at least from, from the creative academic perspective, folk music or music that is popularized or available for popular consumption is considered low art. Right. So I wanted to try to take those two forms and see if it was possible to do something that married them Yeah. in a way that was still interesting to an audience. <laughs> right. So um, 
you also so you released one with the Bellamy Bellamy Brothers, uh, and then you released this how, that was recently, or yes, yeah, that was also in the fall. Okay. And I'm working on a version of Folded Flag. Aaron Lewis released a version. I, I um, was one of the writers on Folded Flag, a, a single Aaron Lewis released, and um, I'm cutting a, a version of that. Nice. Where are you? Where are you recording that? Here in Nashville? Or? Yes, with the amazing Tyler Kane. Oh yeah, we were just talking about him mm-hmm. earlier before the podcast. Yes, I can't wait for you two to That's meet. Great. Is he's producing it as well? He is. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, are you doing a full band arrangement or? I'd actually like to do a pared down guitar vocals nice. arrangement. So, um, who who did you write Folded Flag with? For those that don't know. With our friend Marty Morgan yeah. and Luke Nias, who plays in Aaron Lewis's band. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that there was a third writer on it. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. They're both really tremendous songwriters and instrumentalists and vocalists and people <laughs> in you general. You were just in the <laughs> studio with uh, Marty this week. I saw some stuff on social media, right? Yes. Yeah. And with Mike from Loretta Lynn's band. Um, oh, yeah. Mike is such a tremendous vocalist. He's also a very talented bass player. And it was just really interesting. This song is another kind of experiment in form. It's again, it's about a soldier's perspective of coming back from war and dealing with demons. Right. And... It was really exciting to have a, a male vocalist working on it who has a classical vocal background. Right. Because the song, to me, feels a little bit like the anthems that are in Les Mis. I don't know if you've seen the musical Les Mis. Uh, no, I have not, actually. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we were trying to create something that had, that, that had an epic feeling, mm-hmm. but that was contextualized in a really accessible pop musical format. So... You know, I mean, we've talked a right. lot about anthem construction and about songwriting and how different chord progressions and right. thematic structures can affect emotions in different ways. So we're, we're trying to create a song that's relatable and hopefully evokes some feelings of empathy towards people who return from war and are struggling with so, loss. So do you usually start with the idea or the uh, like the music? How do you, how do you usually, I mean, I know we've been, we've written together, but, um, typically when you're in a a co-write, how do you like to go about, um, coming up with the, uh, themes of the write? Co-writing is an interesting beast, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, I, I co-writing process for me is radically different than solo writing. Oh, I don't know if you find that too. Oh, yeah. Um, I hadn't done a lot of co-writing up until essentially the point when I met you. You're one of the first people oh, really? I ever did any writing with. The European songwriting culture, we sometimes co-write when we write for other artists, but a lot of the time it's actually just a songwriter by themselves. I feel like that's a very Nashville thing to co-write. Mm. Um, that was something mm-hmm. that like from Louisiana, uh, we didn't really do that very often unless it was with people that you're in a band with. But mm-hmm. that was kind of a new experience to me too. And I, I've noticed that like uh, anyone who kind of gets involved in it, it becomes a very, it starts off as like a, you know, very personal thing that you have to kind of let go of and just let the song take its course, you know, as, as far as like whenever I've done co-writing and know that like it's not necessarily just for you, you know, that it's for many artists. So it's okay to not be exactly the way you would write a song just for yourself. That's been the 
best lesson I've gotten out of co-writing. Mm. But um, I know like when we, when you and I have, have written together, we tend to just go with an idea and then form the music around it. But I was just curious if in other sessions it's the other way around or. Hmm. I think I've experienced just about every single version of that. Um, with Folded Flag, for example, Luke had a lick that he had been playing around with and he played it for me and I thought, wow, oh, that's actually really, really, really good. We should definitely run with that. And Marty had been thinking about, Marty had lost a friend very recently who was a Marine and he was thinking about that. And my dad, um, my dad actually was about to die two weeks later when we started writing the song, but my dad was a vet. So we were all really thinking about similar things. Yeah. <laughs> so we came in with an atmosphere or a mood and a lick. Yeah. But I think it, you know, it really depends on the people that you're in the room with. And in a sense, I think in, from my perspective, and I feel like I'm really only scratching the surface of the art of co-writing, it's more about understanding the person that you're writing with. Right. And, and what makes them comfortable and what they prefer to do in a process. Yeah. Than it is about anything else that if you create or if you foster the right environment that everyone's best qualities will come out. Right. Yeah. Creating a creative environment will definitely help it. And, and also being able to be flexible, I think mm. has helps a lot too. Mm. Have you, uh, have you been writing any songs on your own uh, lately? I mostly write songs on my own. Um, I really only do co-writing when I'm in Nashville. Like you said, it's yeah. a really, <laughs> really particular Nashville way of working. It's interesting because, uh, you know, in the, in the winter I seem to, I seem to like hole up in my room and write mm. like, you know, five or six songs a week. Mm -hmm. Um, and then whenever it gets warmer, I come mm. out of hibernation and mm. go right with other people. <laughs> <laughs> You're a mammal. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of the place I'm in right now. Um, I don't know if that it's that way for other artists, but it tends to be the slower season you know when it's not tour season that i like hole up in my room and kind of write my own songs mm -hmm. so that's interesting i mean in a sense i guess it you know it's also market dependent if you're getting a lot of requests for particular things right. that would be better done or better served by co-writing i think for me it's i i sort of i sort of follow the market like whatever the market demands in yeah. that sense um plus i also come to nashville specifically with the purpose of writing right because I'm not, I'm not here much <laughs> right? <laughs> or as much as I would like to be. Although that's probably going to be different this year. So I'm excited good. about that. That's a good thing. So you're living in New York City, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and you, uh, what are you doing up there when you're not in Nashville? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of splitting my time equally between touring and composing right now. I'm going to be going in and cutting a new record in January with Tyler Kane and up in New York. Mm -hmm. oh. oh no, no, actually here. Oh, sorry. Here. Okay. But, um, you know, in leading up to that, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing a capital raise. So I'm preparing to essentially just record a ton of stuff, do a lot of videos. I'm trying to take certain aspects I've been working on aesthetically relating to transmedia. Mm -hmm. So how can, videos be best used to tell a story in an interesting way and how and when does that need to match up with the song 
from a lyric perspective. Right. Can music videos feature someone not singing, for example? Um, I've, I've in the past I've experimented with different ways of doing this in which music videos were essentially films, mm-hmm. short films that were that were set to music. So I'm going to try to push that a little bit further and see what's possible. So you've been writing like Americana country, like what um, what do you define yourself as as an artist? This is always a real challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Especially as a Canadian with dual citizenship to America and having lived in Europe for 11 years before coming here, I think my aesthetic has been highly defined by not only where I've grown up and what I listened to as a child, but by extensive study in musicology and extensive study as a creative writer. My um, studies all the way through a doctorate were really focused on looking at the relationship between storytelling in various genre formats and how those genres served the stories that you were trying to tell. So for me, I, I looked at the construction of character as the focal element. How can characters tell stories in meaningful ways that don't alienate audiences? And uh, that's taken the form for me over the course of the, the last eight years particularly in really different ways. I have a pop project called LA, um, which as a complete accident went viral in the UK in 2012 and became kind of an uncontrollable beast. And it was a joke. I had done it as a, as a, a project embedded within a mockumentary that I was creating. So I had done this, this film project and theater project, which was really outrageous heightened comedy. And the character is an alien who's being um, grown by CERN as a project on nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. And she's forced to become a pop star to pay for her own medical testing. Yeah. And so I thought that this this project musically was so outrageous that people would know it was a joke, but <laughs> nobody caught on. <laughs> it just became this massive, you know, UK um, radio hit. And so, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it put me in a really uncomfortable situation where I really had to work out, well, how do I navigate the fact that I've suddenly got this massive beast? Right. Which is, you know, like on every radio station, on every TV station, the music video is just absolutely everywhere and it's going viral online and people are starting to associate me with L.A., not understanding that it's part of this um, project I was developing with the BBC that was a mockumentary right? in which um, it was supposed to be like a, a commentary on the ridiculousness of Hollywood. Yeah. And, um, and from the perspective of this, this alien um, who reveals that she's an alien in the mockumentary and it's, you know, it's just an outrageous comedy. Yeah. And I'd been doing the stage show version of this with the music embedded in it at quite a few places. I developed it at the hospital club in London, which is the place where the Mercury awards are granted. Right. And it's owned by, um, Ian Stewart. Mm -hmm. You probably have heard some of his stuff. He's, Yeah. yeah, he's one of the founders of Eurythmics. So how did how did it get on the radio? How did it blow up so big if it, if you're in the middle of that project? Like So, I mean, I released it intentionally. Oh, okay. Um I released it, you know, it was a major label release and it was released to video and then released to radio and then released to clubs 
And the, actually, it started going viral because it was really big in clubs. Really? It was like a major dance pop club anthem. I can't wait to Google this. Mm. I can't <laughs> believe I never told you about this. No, I haven't heard about this. <laughs> I hate talking about myself, so I assume that's how this never got discussed. That's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, you know, it was a major label deal, blah, blah, blah. And... I wrote a lot of pop music before that and during that period for lots of major artists. And so I was very embedded in that world. But for me, it was I only ever saw it as a sideline to doing what I was truly passionate about, which is writing songs about, quote unquote, things that matter. So about environmental crisis, about women's stories, about social issues of the of the day. And I grew up listening to Joni Mitchell and CSNY and Neil Young and was deeply steeped in that Americana folk tradition. But I've always had a strong bend towards blues rock. Mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, I'm I'm equally split between these two. So when I had the opportunity to try to find a way to create different personas between the L.A. character Mm-hmm. and me and something else, I realized that in order to avoid the possibility that people wouldn't understand that Van Wilde was a band or a project and not me, I, I needed to create two sidelines. So one is Yasmin Van Wilt, and that's the dramatist, filmmaker, academic, scholar, songwriter, actress, producer, whatever. And on the other side is Van Wilde, and this is a you know a specific... Americana blues rock project and um, that worked for a while I think Um, it was you know it was successful in the UK again on radio I got up to the top 40 there and here um, in the in 2015 um, my song cherry tree reached um, top 40 radio and got up to 26 in the, the radio charts so that that was starting to to scrape the surface I think of like that market saturation of that particular sound in relation to Van Wilde. But um, I've been finding increasingly over that time that I need to start releasing music under my own name too. So now I'm doing this more acoustic paired back stuff that's that's really folk in which I can do things that are more poetic, that look more deeply at narrative and character that are more experimental mm-hmm. and then continue to do things that are really feel good that I think bring audiences together that create a dialogue with social consciousness through the Van Wild brand. And, um, I'm releasing a song called rise up and, um, when is that releasing that'll, that'll be coming out in February. Oh, great. And it's, I mean, these are, these songs are basically all blues rock anthems. Right. And I like the idea and it's really what has always attracted me to the idea of being a performing artist as opposed to just being a creative writer. Right. Because there was a, you know, there's always a point in your life where you can go in one direction. Am I going to be a novelist or am I going to be this? Yeah. Before you get too deep into your professional practice where you have to decide what kind of a creative you are. Yeah. And I had been performing since I was four so I had a very strong bend towards continuing to do that. And 
in a sense, you know, we, I think we're always redefining how right. these things land. And um, I feel like over the last year and a half, I've had the chance to to look at how different people react to different things. And um, like my song, for example, Hey Old Man, um, was embedded in a, a Marvel collaboration project that was transmedia. And that had 750,000 downloads. So I'm going like, huh, okay. Yeah. This song is much less highbrow, but it's got a really good beat. Right. So is my, is my, yeah, it's such a struggle. Like, you you know, you want to write these really great lyrics and they don't connect with audiences sometimes as good as ones that are a little bit less just have well written. Yeah, or are just that are just or that are just radically simpler. Yeah. And I think they're they are just different forms. I've come to see them as just different art forms. Right. That there's writing things for audiences that have mass appeal where you can turn up and everybody wants to dance to it, everybody wants to sing along to it. Right. It's radio friendly. People can listen to it in the car. They don't have to think a lot about it. Yeah. It just is more of an earwig. Mm-hmm. And in that way you can do something that engages people and makes them feel good. Right. And really in a sense, that's one of the things that I, we, I see us as being essentially part of the service industry. (laughs) That our role is to is to help people feel things. Yeah. And on the one hand, you know, if somebody's commuting, they're driving to work, they're coming home from a long day and they're just like, gosh, you know, I'm so tired. I've had such a rough week. I'm not making enough money. Right. I've just broken up with my partner. My kids hate me. You know, like all the things that people feel throughout the course of their lives. Yeah. The basic things that we can all relate to. People need something to create the soundtrack to their lives. And we're not, I mean, we're not always thinking deeply. You know, there's different parts of our personality. So there's nothing wrong with writing different forms too, you know? I think that they just serve different purposes. Um you know, I, I, what I really care about is my audience. And I think that there, there is, there is a more niche audience for those super highbrow intimate stuff. And rather than just trying to battle the fact that I have strong impulses towards both, I see one as being a niche project. Like the Yasmin Van Wilt stuff is, is more niche. I can do really heady lyrics and more complex melodic changes and I can play it by myself on the guitar or I can play with these, you know, world-class performers who are each better than me at their own instruments and in everything that they do. And I can write stuff that, that, you know, is just for the moment of the moment. Yeah. And obviously I'm still trying to make that as good as I am capable of doing. Right. But the objective in making that is more, I think, what the Rolling Stones were trying to achieve, which is just that when we're all together in a room and we're all feeling something and we're all responding to it, there's something about being in a room with 5,000 people where everybody's doing the same thing, where you feel more connected to being human, to being a species. And in that time, everybody's just doing the same thing, having a great time, None of those people are worrying about all of the things that they otherwise have to worry about. Right. You're kind of, you're helping them to, to achieve catharsis, to get 
what's ailing them out of their system. And for me, that's, that's, I guess, kind of as close to a religious experience as I ever get as an agnostic person, Yeah. Uh, you know, doing that, having a conversation with society, with people and giving them something that I hope improves their day when they listen to it is, is absolutely the pinnacle of what I'm trying to achieve with that. Yeah. That's awesome. And do the lot, do you ever find the lines blur between Yasmin Van Wilt and Van Wilde? Yes. Yeah. And I, I'm Is so that a new project somewhere in between? <laughs> yeah, man, I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I'm trying to figure it out all the time. Um, I've also found that I'm increasingly moving away from the thematic ways in which I used to work. So I, I went through a long period in which I was trying to write songs that were about people going through struggles because I thought that that might be the best way to achieve catharsis. And, you know, the more scholarly research that I've done about how emotions are impacted by various chord structures and themes and styles and and actually even delivery, the more I've started to feel like I need to move more towards the other side of the spectrum. Like people who have emerged out of the darkest point who are on the way up. So I'm looking now at, as, as to the best of my ability, creating characters and songs that are deeply emotive, but that are, are on the rise. And I think that's something that we both do, because I find the yeah. songs we write together seem to be a lot of the time about that. You know, and it's, it's really easy to write a sad song. It's a, lot, it's a lot harder to write something that like really is like, you know, happy and 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 do it well that's something that i've actually been thinking about lately too because oh i'm not suggesting happy well <laughs> i'm just suggesting like that this person's not you know on the point of suicide and desperation right. you know that they're like <laughs> they've moved through that phase to the desire to achieve yeah. some kind of self-actualization yeah i guess i was just kind of <clears throat> thinking about that or i have been thinking about that lately of of um writing a happy song it's it's so difficult and like challenging myself to do that because it's so easy to write sad songs and and you know uh <laughs> I've, I've seen a lot of songwriters here in town where they're like i swear i'm not this sad of a person you know mm. after they write it's sing like four in a row and it's like you know in those moments of sadness it's easy to get uh get out the guitar and, and get caught up in it but that doesn't mean that you're a sad person it's a lot harder to write uh at least in my personal experience uh really happy uh, songs so um, even though you mean not complete utter depression and suicide. Mm. Um, well, I mean, some of like my last five singles before this were like, you know, mama, for example, is about a woman who kills her rapist and gets hung. Yeah. So, you know, that song is about, a, that's a real story. Right. These, these, and these songs were all based on real stories and real people's experiences. And also they were based on my, you know, my own experiences, having survived a violent attack and having moved through that particular state of my life. I'm also a very different person now. Yeah. And I feel like I have essentially recovered and achieved a place in my life where I need to talk about how other people might think about achieving that themselves if they're dealing with similar similar problems. I think I'm public enough about how I've dealt with those issues in in my personal life and in my creative life that 
people can see the, tra- the trajectory if they're thinking to themselves, you yeah, know, well, you know, I might want to see a professional about this, but the idea that I might be, I might be having some mental health issues makes me feel really strange. So I don't want to admit that. It's like, okay, well, I guess other people are doing it. You know, we all, I think, I think it's, I see it as a personal responsibility to be open about having moved through that. I, um, I have a friend who, um, is, has just recently, you know, uh, started talking about his, um, uh, PTSD and uh, he was he was uh, in a branch of the military and um, he also I, th- I believe uh, might suffer from um, I don't want to get it wrong but I think it's bipolar disorder and he's been starting to talk about that in his music and I think to me mm. that like that honesty and braveness like makes me like just dive that much deeper into his songwriting and like mm. understand the words he's trying to say even more because that's really hard to like um when you're you know as a songwriter you know you you want to show a piece of yourself but it's hard to be completely like vulnerable in front of all these people but to be that like vulnerable and and brave and just say like here are the things that i'm dealing with then like the lyrics just are so much more impactful i think too and then they reach out to other people that are like i'm struggling with this same thing as well and He's written some of the best work I've ever heard him write since he's mm. been more like open about like mm-hmm. some of the, his uh, struggles. You mm-hmm. know? So I think that that's great, you know, and I think that you'll reach out to definitely reach out to an audience that um, probably maybe feels isolated and alone whenever you're mm. that open and honest, too. So kudos to you for that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, on the topic of, of PTSD and emotional distress, I've, you know, I also do production and executive production on projects I feel really passionately about and I've teamed up with um eight-time Emmy winning winner uh, Charles Stewart he's an amazing filmmaker and he'd been doing this project called Into the Light for three years and it's about Barbara Van Dalen who's the founder of Given Hour and the campaign to change direction Mm -hmm. and she worked very closely with Michelle Obama and Jill Biden to launch this And the campaign to change direction is essentially an effort to change cultural attitudes towards mental health, to eradicate this false dichotomy between brain health and body health, as if there is, you know, some difference between the two, (laughs) health is health. Um, And so I've I've been helping um, as an impact producer and producer to talk about that, to schedule it, to fundraise, to do all sorts of things. And I'm really delighted it's going to PBS nationally in January. Awesome. Yeah, we had a premiere in November at uh, the National Geographic headquarters in DC as part of the call to service that Barbara does every year for her companies. And it, it really had a great reaction. And we've also screened at Dartmouth, and we'll be doing a big university tour and we'll be going to lots of military bases. Um, one of the characters in the story is a young Marine, Brendan. And I, I feel very, very passionately about making sure that we are caring for those who we send off to do the things that none of us would really like to do. Right. And it's not about attitudes or perspectives towards war. Um, as a pacifist, I'm not a fan of war, but that doesn't change the fact that I don't feel that we should be ignoring those who have been sent off by old men to do right. their bidding. You know, they. Can. So I, I believe that this addresses that issue in a compassionate empathetic way and the film is awesome 
I can say that because I wasn't the director. (laughs) (laughs) So when will that be on PBS? Well, we'll know the exactly the exact date soon. It'll be in January and it'll be available to buy everywhere to download where we're trying to make copies available for people who would like to, to have them, but it should be on a PBS station near you. Wonderful. <laughs> so you, you're going into the studio here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, when is that? Well, I've already started doing it, but oh. we'll be doing the rest of the next Van Wild album. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I haven't mentioned. The amazing Wade McCollum. Mm-hmm. He is a Broadway actor, singer, composer, dancer, choreographer. I mean, he's a unicorn. <laughs> he's just an, a fantastic person. And he's come on board Van Wild as a band member. So we are having a lot of fun exploring this project together. So in January, we're going to be doing studio work. And um, Will this he's be gonna... a full-length album? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Great. And um, is there any set release date or you're just kind of working towards? No, I think we really need to to just see how it goes. You know, the recording process can take longer than you think it will. I'm going to be intermittently re- releasing singles um, basically nonstop. I've got uh, 14 songs left to release that I've finished with this past cycle. So um, I don't know. That's pretty much an album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it technically three EPs, I guess I've broken it up that way. So this new material, I'm not really sure, you know, yeah. some of the songs that I've done um, are going to be Yasmin Van Wilt songs. So I'm trying to kind of release stuff concurrently. I'm hoping I haven't created a beast I can't manage. So um, some more crazy uh, songs that blow up. I know. Maybe. I wish, I wish I was better able to just, so this is one of the things, you know, we've never really talked about this before. But um, as a person with Asperger's, I think that the fact that I just am not wired like a neurotypical person means I, I always think to myself, oh, I want to just do some, this thing in this one lane. Yeah. And it's like, I just am not capable of forcing myself to do that. Yeah. Because my brain just feels like a network. Yeah. You know, like I see things in kind of like a... <laughs> so I'm just creating a thing with my hand here, just just waving in front of my face, trying webs. to yes, exactly yeah. as a kind of an interconnected web. So um, you know, we'll see. We'll see if this becomes an unmanageable beast, and if it does, then I'll have to just chill, chill down on the Yasmin Van Wilt stuff. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I've never been able to wrap my mind around like the single. Um, and I think that's just the way that like I have always, um, consumed, uh, music. Um, I, I, I only think in albums, like Mm. I don't understand, um, the concept of like releasing singles. And I think that that is like such an interesting way to do it. And I wish that like I understood that thought process, but do you like when you release a single, do you put... Um, all the effort behind that one song or do you like put the effort behind the EP like the EP's coming out how does that work for you well I'm really struggling with this as well I I compose the songs as units so I see all of these things as being really thematically linked right and I record them all at the same time so I mean in a sense for me I feel like I'm just kind of 
giving you like the appetizer and then course right. one and then the main meal and then dessert and you know but it, it's all part of the same meal so the ep essentially i'm not going to really be releasing anything that i haven't released as a single it's okay. just like if you want to listen to these all the way through here's this so you basically release each song from the ep as a single mm-hmm. okay that's interesting yeah. yeah we'll see if it works I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's uh, good or bad, but I'm just like here. It all is. <laughs> That's kind of been my mentality, and uh, I've never really uh, understood the single route. But I see a lot of people in Nashville doing that. Um, I mean, in an era in which music is, for all intents and purposes, free, does yeah. it even really matter? Yeah, right. That's a horrible, cynical thing to say. But no, I think but you're um, not wrong. I mean. I, like Luke Bryan has a new album out and every advertisement I've seen has been stream on Pandora or stream mm-hmm. on Spotify. It's no longer mm-hmm. buy at Kmart mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It's an, it's an interesting time to be in, but it's also interesting because for so long, for the last 10 years, it's felt so hopeless that like finally music, the music industry is starting to lean into streaming, you know, finally, you know, mm-hmm. even if it is, way less of a way to make money you mm-hmm. know at least it's it's something that's not just the death of the music industry yeah exactly i mean in a sense you know because physical products i mean you can always sell sell records at shows that's the other thing and i think that's where having the ep and the album is really important because people want to hear how you've envisioned it especially if they've just seen your show yeah they want to hear it the way they've seen it and and of course we as artists imagine things as coming in particular units i think people who take the craft of songwriting really seriously have an will definitely have an issue with the concept of the single yeah because it's as a standalone it doesn't make any sense like what 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 kind of an animal are you like i don't know i'm the only one of my kind you know yeah. <laughs> like great <laughs> congratulations on being an endangered species yeah you know um I don't know. It's such a, it's such a weird concept, but at least, you know, if the physical product exists in that form, people can interact with it in that way for vinyl. I think that's also great. Sing and licensing is, is also such a, you know, such a market for songwriters and composers and producers. Yeah. In a sense, I think that's where a lot of revenue streams come for a craft. Yeah. So February, Mm-hmm. next single comes out which is called i'm sorry you said it earlier right rise up rise up mm-hmm. okay so we've got rise out up coming out in february that's the first single from this new set of ep mm-hmm. and then are you going to release uh like one a month how does how does that, about that about mm-hmm. that awesome yeah people don't really buy things in january so it's not the greatest of time to release a single because Everyone is just going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I spent so much money over Christmas. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is really sad, you know, the way that we've just let this insane commercialization right. stretch us out. But um, yeah, you know, February, I think people are kind of willing to pay attention or willing to have a conversation about what you're, what you're throwing out there. Yeah. Plus, January is just so cold in lots of parts of the world. It you is. Know, you just, like you said, you just want to hibernate. I just, you don't want to listen to music. You want to hibernate. Yeah. Hibernate and write. Just <laughs> turn on my, my space heater. 
put on my record player, write some songs. Yeah. Put a baked potato under Coffee. the door. Yeah. <laughs> or hot cocoa or something. Yeah. yeah. That's that's my January, knock, basically. Knock. Well, your delivery of hot cocoa has arrived. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it by the door here. You can come out whenever you're done writing. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Was that you as my butler? <laughs> that's, yeah. No, it was delivery, special delivery ah. cat. Oh, a cat. Yes. Cockney ginger cat. So, um, yeah, that's January is definitely a, a month of, of slowing down, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. a lot of people have been asking me that, uh, you know, like, are you touring in January? No, like, I don't want to. I don't know. Like it's, it's, but nice also break. the demand isn't there. It's really not. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm great. I'm, I'm very excited to hear, um, your, we're sounding so cynical. We're sounding so cynical right now. I don't mean to sound cynical, no, but I'm excited. I am cynical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hear your. your I'm not song. cynical. I but, I but you know the thing is, I think it's really, really important, and a lot of artists are very uncomfortable merging business analysis and market analysis into their way of working. Yes, but it's so necessary. Amen. That is true. <laughs> we because it it seems really antithetical to the craft of being an artist. Well, and it's just so. Like it, you know, it's, it's so, I guess, right brain versus left brain to, to mm. be analytical about it. And, and not everybody can have both aspects, you know, um, which you've done a great job of. You're, you're very like creative and like business forward, which I really appreciate because I feel like I'm a, a struggling businessman who prefers to be <laughs> creative. And I feel like a lot of artists, uh, are in the sim in a similar boat, but it is important. You're right to be uh aware of the i guess um what's the word i'm looking for the market yeah it's a challenge i i think a lot of artists benefit from having agents and managers and bookers who can represent them in a way that allows them not to think about admin and not to think about brand development and all of these other things but we're also in an era in which to a certain degree, we can't be completely removed. Um, like you do a great job of, of marketing your records and getting them out there to radio stations and of introducing people to your work. And this radio, this, this podcast is fantastic. This is a wonderful way for artists from all over the world to tune in and, and hear about the life and times of this genre. Right. And how people are navigating this genre. And I really do think we are on the brink of being in a post-genre era. Yeah. Because Spotify and streaming has radically altered the way that we consume genres. I think the tough part is that everyone wants a label. And Americana is a great, um, almost like, non-label label because it's so inclusive of all uh, roots, you know, blues, folk country basically everything that was like you know developed you know a hundred years ago mm-hmm. you know putting it all together and then modernizing it and and that pretty much includes everything that's not already like hugely popular in um, pop culture currently so i think it's a great genre that will continue to grow and i'm excited mm-hmm. about this podcast because i feel like um there's there's so many people inside that genre that are so different um and it's it's very inclusive of of different styles while still being a genre. So I think it's a great mm-hmm. title for a genre, personally. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think we'll see more and more representation in the Grammys and in other bodies of the sort who look at the progress of this particular type of music. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, you're one of the smartest, greatest songwriters I know, and I'm, I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. You're the best. <laughs> All right, here's your money. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Americana Station podcast. Next time on the podcast, we will have Jason Hawk Harris. Jason is a member of the Show Ponies. He has since gone solo, and he recorded an EP which is described as grief grass. Uh, we will be talking about Houston and punk rock, LA, his new record, all sorts of fun stuff. He's, he's uh, completely enamored with the weather here, apparently, uh, that he's never seen. I don't know if he's ever seen snow, but it's since snowed. And um, he's uh, really been enjoying his time in Nashville. And we get to talk about it. And uh, you will not want to miss that episode. So stick around. Um, and make sure you follow us on all social medias, uh, at Americana station on Instagram. It's actually at America station on Twitter. Unfortunately, um, it's just a couple letters too long on that one. Um, as well as Facebook, I believe it's, uh, just slash Americana station. And, um, we also have a Spotify playlist with a lot of great, uh, local and, um, also, you know, LA based people like Jason. Um, so Make sure you follow our Spotify playlist, which is Americana Station, and um, there should be links on the social media websites. And until next time, we'll see you.